<laughs> Welcome to another installment of Mother Construction. Uh, we, today we have a special guest, Vashti Hurt. As usual, Kaiser Sose and angry black fan, Jamal Darby. Well, so, uh, Vashti, how was your week, man? Uh, busy. Yeah, been a, been a busy week with... Uh, you went viral, I see. I, you know, a little bit. You, yeah, I, all I did was just play some nice... Uh, edited clip out there for the masses to make their own assumptions, and um, they did exactly what I thought they would do. So it went well. Gotcha, gotcha. Kaz, how was your week, brother? Pretty good, pretty good. Um, Hornets are winning, so it's a good week. Molly Mall. Hey, man. Nice weather here in the Queen City, man. Can't ask for nothing more. Uh, beautiful week, man. Hornets winning. My, my Oakland A's finally won the game this week, man. It's a good week for me, man. Okay. Yeah, Oakland and okay. Always, okay, always okay. So uh <laughs> we'll leave that one alone. So uh the Panthers this week uh acquired Sam Darnold in a trade with the New York Jets in exchange for a 21 six round pick, a 22 second and fourth. Uh Jamal, what were your reactions to it specifically? Because I, I know you've been vocal. <laughs> um I just first before I go, I just want to let everybody know there is no alcohol in this cup right here. It is tea. I, I decided to not drink when we talked about this topic today. Um, my first thought was a cycle of mediocrity. Um, the buildup to possibly going after Deshaun Watson, possibly drafting a QB. Um, when our owner has been very vocal about how aggressive he's going to be going after our franchise quarterback. And you ended up trading assets and second-round picks for Sam Darnold, who has been pedestrian at best with the New York Jets. Um, I'm going to say unexcited is the word I'm going to use about this move. Um, I do want to be objective. I know that uh, Darnold comes from a absolutely dreadful franchise uh, of the New York Jets, and maybe a change of scenery is needed, and you know, maybe uh, 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 you know, maybe being reunited with Robbie Anderson will 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 kind of propel his career again. But to say that I'm excited, I'd be telling a farce. I'd be lying, man. So um, I'll just I'll just be in wait and see mode. I'll I'll hope for the best, but it, it just doesn't move the needle for me. Kaza, you and Vash, I'm coming to you next. I got a, um, another question too. The more I think about it, the less upset, confused I am about it. At first I was like, what? That it, it seemed like the Teddy Bridgewater deal all over again. But then I thought about it. Um, clearly Bridgewater's on his way out. The Panthers has already cleared him to talk to other teams and that writing was on the wall. Everybody knew it. Deshaun Watson was off the table. He's off the table forever for every other team in the NFL now, unfortunately. So what do you do? You got a guy who was highly, highly uh, thought of as a prospect coming out of college. He was the number three pick. He's in a bad situation. You don't give up anything really to get him. I mean, the Panthers didn't. I mean, Except second round picks. But the thing is, I mean, in the NFL, second round picks aren't, especially from the Panthers. I mean, especially when you're talking about a quarterback, the most valuable position in football to give up second round picks, future second round picks for him. I, I, the Panthers really didn't give up all that much. My only thing, though, is that. Sam Darnold, despite the situation in New York, I don't think has ever shown even flashes of being 
a franchise quarterback. You could take so, – I mean, the Panthers were a terrible team when Cam Newton came, right? But look at what Cam Newton was able to do. He was able to completely turn the franchise around and still be um, a star player uh, as a rookie. Sam Donald was never able to, to do that. And I, although I think he'll be better in a Panthers uniform than a Jets uniform, I'm not sold that he is the future moving forward. Gotcha. Vashtar, same question. And also, I want to add, in your opinion, is he an upgrade over Teddy? Um, I don't I haven't honestly I'm gonna be real candid about this and I've been asked a lot. I think that my um reaction was very similar. Mm-hmm. Um as far as when I first heard the news, I was like, What wait a minute. And then as I as I let it simmer and, and thought about it, as I and I you know, I don't think that the Panthers gave up too much. I would have been much uh less pleased if the staff trade went through. And they gave up an eighth pick, the eighth pick, and and some other things for Matthew Safford. So to me, this is like it's you aren't giving up too much. You're basically rolling the dice on a quarterback who is highly regarded coming out of college. If he pans out, then great. If he doesn't, then I would. I feel. I still feel, and I just said this on a on a different show. If Justin Fields is there at eight, I think the Panthers still take him. So this really just gives the Panthers an opportunity to draft the best player available. If Sam works out great, if he doesn't, then, you know, it is what it is. Um, so, yeah. What gotcha. was the other question, Rodney? And, and do you think he's an upgrade over Teddy at this point? Um, I have not seen enough of him to say he's an upgrade. I do mm-hmm. feel like he'll air the ball out more, which is what the Panthers lacked in Teddy. And you know, if he gets a, if he puts the ball in the air, you have two great receivers in Robbie Anderson and DJ Moore who can make plays. Um, a la what Jake Delone. Jake Delone wasn't the greatest quarterback, but he had no problem throwing it up and allowing his receivers to make plays. And if you get that out of Sam Darnold, then I don't think that that's a bad thing. Gotcha. Oh, so so we just so we just traded assets for Jake Delone. Awesome. He, great. Jamal, 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 you you take it in left. (laughs) It's just a joke, guys. I'm sorry. I mean, you um, meant that. You meant you. You really did mean that. (laughs) You meant that. Stop it. Look, in in my in my opinion, man, you went after Deshaun Watson, and that is not going to happen for obvious reasons. You went after Stafford. He wasn't a. We weren't a preferred destination. Sam Donald was kind of the logical choice right after that. And then you, you got to look at it. We we kind of burn bridges with Teddy Bridgewater, like yeah. the owner's comments, uh, social media not putting them on certain things and stuff like that. And 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 Teddy has been on the way out since basically the end of the season. So you kind of had to do just as good a, a slightly upgraded position. And I think the Panthers did that. And then we picked up the fifth year the, the fifth year option on him. So it's just like a year and another year of of auditioning for him. And if he's not the guy, you got 2022, you got Sam Howell. Whoopee. Uh. <laughs> I, 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 I mean, as long we got to keep that number eight pick. That's really yeah, what. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, if, if anything, I don't think this is a – Sam Darnold is a downgrade from Teddy Bridgewater. I think he'll do things differently. Like Bash, I said, he's going to throw the ball downfield, something that Teddy – and 
Maybe Vashtai can give some insight on this, but I had heard there were rumblings in the locker room about Teddy not getting the ball downfield. Guys like Robbie Anderson were like, hey, man, I could if you throw it, I could go get it. And either Teddy wasn't willing to do that. I, I just think that he really couldn't. That's not Teddy's physical game. Yeah. But I, I think players might be a lot more happy with Sam Donald because he's a bit more of a gunslinger. Wide receivers love playing with gunslingers. I mean, nobody wants to have to catch a pass eight yards and then do all that work to get downfield. So, yeah, I think I think the receivers are happy to have a guy who has no problem with putting the ball in the air. We haven't gotcha. heard from them. We haven't really spoken to anybody other than Scott Fitterer about the trade. But, um, you know. Yeah. Hey, and, man, look. Yeah. This trade has kind of seemed like it's been in the works for a while because the, the, the social media team was ready to fire off those memes. Oh, after my the trade. gosh. <laughs> I not, this energy. And, I mean, poor Teddy. I feel bad for Teddy. I do, too. Because he didn't get this energy at all. Like, they really went all in for Sam like two days, three days in a row. That's all, like forced feeding the content. I'm like, wow. Like, why even well, find Teddy? Well, well, I think there's a vast difference between who Teddy Bridgewater is going, who's coming in after versus who Sam yeah. Darnold is coming after. I think that probably makes a, yeah. a, a, a difference. Now, uh, one one thing I did want to speak on really quick. Now, I will forgive the Panthers if this if this rumored deal goes through. Now, according to Jason Lock and Fourier from CBS Sports, there is a rumor uh, where uh, there's a trade based on the Panthers um, along with the Denver Broncos, which could net us the number nine pick if the money works and if the trade works out. Again, this is just a rumor from Jason Lockenforia. We don't know how that will kind of uh, work out just yet, but I will forgive the Panthers if they, <laughs> if they get a number nine pick back for Teddy Bridgewater. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. I, I got okay, a question for you. Guys. They would yeah. get a number nine pick for Teddy Bridgewater. That, according to Jason Lockman Ford from CBS Sports, yes. I don't know how he didn't he didn't provide any further details, but no yeah. what the kids say, cap. We <laughs> <laughs> see stupid deals in the NFL all the time. Right. It actually wouldn't surprise me. There, I think there are a lot of teams that are still high on Teddy Bridgewater, um, and they think that. I mean, the problem with Teddy Bridgewater, I, I don't know if it was so much him. It was the situation. It was, for instance, I think Sam Darnold is going to be more receptive to the coaching staff than Teddy Bridgewater was. When you have situations like what happened in the Green Bay game where the coach says, hey, Teddy, don't do this, and Teddy does it, and we lose the game, I don't think Sam Darnold's going to do those kind of things. And I think that a lot of teams in NFL probably feel like, okay, if Teddy was with us, that situation would be different. I, I I wouldn't be surprised if the Panthers pulled off a number nine pick for, for Teddy and maybe some cash. We shall. So I, I got a question, though. Do you think the way that the, that the Panthers moved on from Teddy and Cam will kind of hurt them down the line with other future quarterbacks and players? Um, no. Football is a business. Football is a doggy, doggy, dirty business. Sports is a dirty business. It's just a part. Like, what do you? What did they expect? I mean, guys, guys. Yeah, no, it doesn't look good how they parted ways with either quarterback, but they still cash checks. The check clears, and guys will come to Carolina if the check clears. 
Like, if they pay enough money, like, no guy is going to be offered more money at Carolina, let's say, than they are offered anywhere else. They say, oh, no, I'm not going to Carolina because of how they did Cam Newton and Teddy Bridgewater. If the check clears, the guys are coming, period. Yeah. Good point. Yeah, and the, the, the more and more I kind of hear that, man, the more and more BS I think it is. We just saw the New England Patriots uh, 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 give up <laughs> the greatest quarterback of all time, man. So anything can happen. It is the business. I think these players know what they get themselves into these days, man. It, it happens more and more often. Nah, I don't think so, man. Yeah, I, it, the only thing that it does as far as a detriment is the Panthers can't use the – well, we're different than other franchises. They, they can yeah. no longer use that because the way that they handle those two situations shows that, no, you you guys are exactly yeah. like every other NFL franchise. And, and, I, and, I, and I think that died with Jerry Richardson being gone anyways. You know, the, the Jerry Richardson era was kind of like, hey, look at us. We're loyal to our guys. And I think when he when he left, man, that kind of just went away with him as well. So. Gotcha. So, so the draft is in a few weeks. Just uh, give me a position that you think the Panthers need to address in the draft. <laughs> this is just the one position. Give okay, me one. Uh, I'm going to take the first round off the table because the first round should always be BPA. I don't care about positions, especially with the number eight pick. You take the best guy. If Kyle Pitts is there, you take him. If Justin Fields is there, you look really, really hard at taking him. Kyle Pitts won't be there. No, Kyle Pitts won't be there. But um, – other, if second round and beyond is when you start looking at need. Man, the Panthers have a lot of holes to show up. They did fill. Uh, uh, they did show up some stuff on the back end at the cornerback position recently, bringing over uh, a former Pro Bowler from the Broncos. But AJ I, yeah, I, I think everyone is thinking offensive lineman. Thing is, it, it's really really hard to draft a good offensive lineman. It it it, it just is. Uh, else, every team would. Stock up on good offensive linemen, but I I do think that that is the main position in need for the for the Panthers, especially if you're bringing in Sam Donald. He's gonna have all these weapons around him, um, you know, two two thousand yard wide receivers. Christian McCaffrey's gonna be back healthy. Uh, you got you need an offensive line, and I, I think the Panthers have made enough moves on the defensive line to where we don't need to draft there. So that's that's my position in need, offensive line. I agree. You got your great. Yeah, I agree. I, yeah. I think you take best player available, but if um, Penne is there, I think the Panthers. I mean, you got to take them. It, it's just yeah. there's just so many question marks though going into this draft. So you yeah. never you never know who is going to be where. Other than other than Trevor Lawrence, really everything else is open. So yeah. you know. Um, you, you just you gotta take you gotta take best player available at that point, and you don't yeah. even know who that's gonna be. But I would like to see the Panthers finally do, attempt to shore up the offensive line, which they have done in the past. They just the, the picks haven't worked out. Greg Little yeah. has been, you know, yeah. Jeff Ota, who was picking the first. Like it's just the Panthers have not had that much luck with drafting offensive linemen, and hopefully that changes if they're able to get one um, this year. It's it's funny you say that because on previous shows, you know, I've said that the same thing about the Panthers. It's not for lack of trying. Like right. it's not they. It's not like they haven't tried to improve the offensive line. Um, with that being said, um, I've also I've also said that the Cincinnati Bengals would be crazy to pass up on Panay Sewell, but they probably it, will. 
<laughs> but it looks like exactly it, it, and it looks like they're all in on Jamar Chase. So it looks like that's going to be the pick for them. So that's going to open up Sewell to be there at eight for us. And and we'd be crazy to pass up on Sewell if he's there at eight. So I think that's the obvious pick if he's there. Y'all know I've been on the Micah Parsons bandwagon. But if Sewell is there at eight, man, I think you got to take it. We we haven't had a consistent left tackle since Jordan Gross. And, and Sewell could yeah. be that. So I, I think you, you got to go all in on him if he's there, man. This draft scares me. If I'll, Despite what you what people think about the job Marty, Marty Herney did, the guy could draft, especially in the first round. Absolutely. He's not here. We've got really kind of a noob. Uh, and from what we know, it might be kind of a more collective decision on who they pick. I'm, I'm kind of afraid. They might do something out of left field, and the fans ain't going to be happy about it. So, gotcha, gotcha. And before we move on, where did Trevor Lawrence go to school again? Oh, God, here we go, man. I I just want to know it's Clemson, right? Yeah, something like that. Number one pick. Vasa, you got to jump off. Nobody worried about Clemson. Look, Clemson is like the holy mech of the ACC at this point. Jesus Christ. (laughs) Vasa, you got to drop off, don't you? Uh, No, I got some more time if y'all want me to say. Cool, cool, cool. Well, look. I'm going I'm to skip a topic, and we're going to get into Hubert Davis. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so, no, y'all not. What y'all won't do is get me in trouble. <laughs> no, 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 no. You're not going to say nothing. Of course not. I'm going to say something. <laughs> okay. All right. Okay. okay. So, um, on, on, as we covered last week, uh, Roy Williams retired on April Fool's, Fool's Day. And this week, Hubert Davis was named the first African-American head coach. Of the, of UNC basically, and uh, somebody asked him a question like, "What what is the uh, significance of this?" And he's like, "It's very significant that I'm the first black head coach, fourth in school history of all sports, of the North Carolina Tar Heels." And then he then adds, uh, <laughs> "Also proud that my wife is white, and my children are a mixture." Without with the, without that question even being un- asked, un- unsolicited, statements. unsolicited. <laughs> And, uh, and and also we learned that he was compromised. So, uh, <laughs> Kaiser, what, what's your thoughts on this, brother? Okay, all right, all right. Actually, I, I do have a thought because uh, when I, you know, you're trying to make sense of such a weird, out of context comment. Like, where the fuck did that come from? But I do think that sometimes some black people, especially when they're moved into positions of prominence, don't like their race being a focus of that prominence. Because Hubert Davis believes that him being black had nothing to do with, and that's probably true. Him being black probably had nothing to do with that hire. Um, but 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 it looks good now. Hey, an institution like University of North Carolina, who you know they've had great basketball coaches, but they've all been old white guys. Now you have an alum, a black alum, um, who is well loved by the school in in a really prominent position, one of the most prestigious sports programs ever in history now has a black coach. So of course that's going to be brought to the the front and center. And I think that that kind of probably uh, probably prickled him a little bit. He, he probably didn't want to talk about race. So he probably figured, well, the best way I can balance that is to talk about the fact that, hey, my wife is white. And that wasn't, I mean, it, it wasn't a good comment to make in, in the context, but I, I got to think that's probably why why he made it he wanted to take the focus off of 
me being black. Well, hey, look, my family is mixed. And so me being black, a, a black coach probably isn't as important to me as you guys think it is. I think that that's where the comment came from. Uh, Jamal. So um, Kaza, using using that as a defense mechanism to not talk about race, I, I, I actually agree with that as far as why he may have did it. However, the reality is, is that he is the first black coach at North Carolina and race is going to be an issue no matter whether he likes it or not. And I'm sorry to be controversial on this Sunday, but the first season his black ass does not produce for the <laughs> North Carolina Tar Heels, you will hear about it. Exactly. And he has a very he's going to have a very short lease as a black head coach. So regardless of whether he wants to face that reality or talk about it with the press, it is not going to be the reality, whether he likes it or not. Now, to get to basketball stuff, he got a pretty good transfer coming in from from Virginia. Uh, Garrison Books, unfortunately, is in the transfer portal. So he has work to do. And whether it's fair or unfair, he is at North Carolina. This is the biggest and best job out here in the nation right now. So regardless of all this other stuff, man, he has work to do and he has to show and prove um, more than any other head coach in the university's history. He has to perform and produce more than anyone. That's the reality. Vashti, let me get your condensed response. <laughs> Don't do it. Don't do it. Take your time. Take your time, sweetheart. Take your time. Look, look. look if, if you want me to add on and, and let you kind of process it, I, I can add I on. I mean, right I, now. I've been processing this since I since I covered the conference. And when he said what he said, I text my other friend Jasmine, who is a black woman in media, and we were like, all right. Like, what are you doing? Like, what are you doing? What kind of deep-seated insecurities or self-loathing do you have going on when, when you're asked about your position, your, your, you being, you making history and being the first black man to lead the UNC program that you felt the need to, in an unsolicited way, um, say that you're proud to be black, but you're also proud to have a white wife. We don't care. We don't care. <laughs> we we nobody don't care cares. about your white wife. So to me, it tells me that Hubert Brown does not feel like his 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 work and his accomplishments stand on their own. He doesn't feel like he he himself who he is is good enough. Mm. He felt like. He's bold, his, his white wife bolsters him and it helps him out and it's a sad place to be because black man, who you are is good enough mm. like you don't have to tout your white wife for acceptance you've been in this business how many years, you've played you played on a professional level you've, gone, you've done media, you've coached under Roy Williams like, you don't need to feel validated with your white woman and we don't care. Like that's the thing. We don't care. So black woman all talks about the work he has to do. As a black woman, I'm watching your press conference and you're recruiting my son. And you come and you sit across the table for me. And I know that you as a black man, when they ask you about the significance of the hire, comes out your mouth, I got a white wife. <laughs> And you think you're gonna sit at my table, a black woman? You felt like 
like, I mean, if his wife were black, he's not saying that. I agree. That's the problem. Mm -hmm. problem. If if his wife were black, when he was asked that question, he's not saying, I'm a proud African-American. I'm proud and I understand the significance of this. And I'm proud I've got this black queen next to me. He's not saying that. So there's a problem there. And that's where my problem comes in. And I think that it's going to be difficult for him to recruit after that conference. That was everywhere. Mm-hmm. There were players who were like uh, what? UNC who were in DMs like, yo, what is he doing? Right. Mm. And, and that's a good an, look. Yeah, that, that's unfortunate that that whole press conference is going to be made about that. More yeah. than the work that he has to do, it's it. But he made he his own. That to himself. himself. And yeah, the I know. Thing he, he is, I wanted to. I wanted to give Huber a pass because I was like, okay, press conferences are tough. You're on this big stage, you know. Maybe it came out wrong. Maybe like you were like, oh, you know, dang, I should have said it that way. He said it twice, the exact same verbiage. He did say it twice. Yeah. He doubled down. He said it during the press conference, and he also said it on Inside Carolina, which is the Tar Heels official like podcaster show. So you you said it twice. You thought through this answer, and that's what you came up with. So so look, I, I'm, I'm I'm gonna give my perspective of it. We heard names like uh, Jerry Stackhouse. Uh, I even heard rumblings of Rasheed Wallace. To me, this was a message to those Carolina. Mm. bourgeoisie class people saying hey i'm black but i ain't that type of black we ain't about to have no hip-hop nights here and all that other stuff it's 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 it's, it's, it's basically a continuation of what has transpired before and so Maybe like but but unc needs to get away from that they, that's they, the problem they, they, they and, and remember guys and remember guys michigan got away from that and look how much success they had this season and i also want to note that Juwan Howard was ranked over the coals before he uh, even coached the game with Michigan. Mm-hmm. I, I, there are so many quotes I can pull up with with uh, with radio hosts and analysis talking about this is a terrible hire and I can't believe they did this and and there were so many so many more uh, other uh, coaching options that deserved the job. So yeah, there are Michigan fans won't don't want to hear this, but there's a difference between Michigan and University of North Carolina. I mean, that, that's true. I mean, University of North, you're talking about a program that has been like prestigious in mostly in basketball, but other sports too, baseball, even lacrosse. We're talking about we're talking about hundred plus years of tradition with with UNC. It's it's going to be hard to uh, supplant that traditional thinking, especially where does the money come from? I mean. Old money. It comes from old money. UNC is going to have old money till the end of time. I agree. They do need to get away from that old stodginess, but I don't know if it'll ever happen. And yeah, Hubert Davis is probably the safe black guy pick. They probably, he, and he would probably like to think that his race had nothing to do with that hiring. And I would like to think that too, but let's be honest. It did, right. Yeah. They they said, okay. Yeah. It did. a good look. It helped out the fact that and they made history, and that's why that question was asked because they wanted him to make give the right answer. But I and I get that there's old money, but money. You know what really brings money to the university in a program? Winning, winning, winning. So if that Stackhouse could come in and play uh, little baby, the baby, 
<laughs> if that team is winning, money is coming, and the alumni are proud to say that they're Tar Hill graduates. I don't it, care about all of that stuff. Like if if that person is a winner, then that's what it is. And Carolina has not been getting um recruits. not been getting those top recruits. Why? Mm -hmm. From what I've been told, it's because they corny. <laughs> the, co the, like, the coaching side is corny, and then you put a cornball in the head coaching spot. So how does that help out? There's and, and, no pizzazz about. There's no pizzazz about UNC. I cover them, and I want UNC to be good so bad. They need to have some more pizzazz. Honestly, Coach K got more street cred than Hubert Brown. They do. They do. Hubert Davis. Yeah, that's sad too. I mean, Hubert Davis. Yeah. Yeah. Like, come on. I, I, look, guys, I was actually in the clubhouse room with uh, Ninth Wonder. He was talking about how just basically, like, going back to my face when he said Ninth Wonder. Huh? He's a Duke fan, though. I said, Jamal, you see my face when he said Ninth Wonder? I got Ninth Wonder stories. We'll talk about it. Well, we can talk about that later. But, um, <laughs> but he was just talking about the uh, Peach Jam down in Augusta and how, like, certain coaches, when they come down there, they have that certain cachet with the mm -hmm. players. And he said Roy even had a little bit of it, but he wasn't at the Coach K level, uh, the Calipari level, and stuff like that. And he, he made a he made a statement about Hubert Davis that was interesting. He was just saying that Hubert can't really kind of relate to those young guys, and he was kind of off to the side, not really mingling. And, I, I, look, I hate to say this, but North Carolina, to me, is is is, is in for some lean times coming up. Um, yeah. It's, it's 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 just kind of sad, man. Like like he, I, I, I'm rooting for Hubert, but I don't think Hubert's that guy for the job right now. I'm rooting I think for Hubert too. In general, is up for some lean times. We've talked about this before. The Lamelo Ball effect is real. Players are gonna say, "Why would I go play for UNC, a place that has probably almost billions of dollars in revenue, and I'm not gonna see any of that when I could go overseas and hone my craft and get paid." you know, a couple hundred thousand bucks a year and then go right into the NBA. Hubert Davis is not the guy to convince young players that that's not the path they need to take. You need to come, you know, play for me at UNC. But And, yeah. and, I, and I thought that also, but there are a couple of guys, and I can't remember their names. They went the G League route, the G League Elite or G League, I don't remember what it's called. But, and they were, they were looked at, and I, I don't, know where their draft stock is now but it's not as high as what it was mm -hmm. before they went into that program so, granted i think they're still listed as first rounders and they did get paid which i think is important but the stage that college basketball provides right now is mm -hmm. still unmatched compared yeah. to the g league like i don't watch g league games and name recognition um Star power, all of that stuff. You can you can sell that on the college level. You can't sell that on the G League level, and nobody knows you. And these guys, they don't just want to be hoopers; like they want to be stars. They want people to know who they are. And people know the guy from Gonzaga who made the game-winning shot. Yep. So they don't know if you made a game-winning shot and a G League game for G League <laughs> championship. <laughs> <laughs> and, and and not and that and not not everybody has a father who 
talks, you know, every other week to the media too. So that probably makes a difference. You got a point. You have a point. So guys, man, uh, one more thing before we move on. So uh, I guess it's safe to assume, but it's, it's been confirmed already that uh, I got a story to tell was not about Hubert Davis. It's about Anthony Mason. Anthony, about Anthony Mason, actually. According, yeah. according to Fat Joe, it's about Anthony Mason. Uh, John Sarr. Biggie write a, story, a, a, a rap about Hubert Davis. That ain't no cachet. <laughs> <laughs> hey, man, look. People really thought it was about Hubert Davis, man. Ain't oh, no cachet in that. Come on, y'all. And look, look. And, 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 and one more point, man. The reason why, I'm, I'm just, this, this is just for everybody. The reason why black people were so upset with Hubert Davis statement as well unc and in, in, in north carolina and the carolinas that's like the black people's school like charlie scott uh dean smith was progressive and like for 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 hubert davis to come on stage being the first black coach there and to kind of downplay his race in, in order to make people's comfortable it's just it's sad yeah. it, it, it kind of reminds me of what tiger woods did when they say you're the first black golfer he's like nah i'm i'm, I'm half I'm everything. <laughs> yeah, I'm everything. Yeah, so whatever. <laughs> so we're right. going to move on, man. So the right. Hornets were like two and one this past week with wins over. Uh, we were wrong. Look, we were dead. Look, we were wrong by default. <laughs> it was some holdouts. We beat Milwaukee. We beat uh, OKC. And who did we lose to? Uh, Boston. 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 We lost to Boston pretty bad last week. And uh, we, we have Atlanta tonight. Guys, I want to talk about uh, Jalen McDaniels, Cousins' favorite player. What? How do you feel about his actual development? So you know what I noticed the last few games of Jalen McDaniels, why he's playing better? He's passing the ball. He's he's, he's he's not taking every shot available to him. He's taking good shots. He's passing the ball in situations that warrant it. And let, and let me interject real quick. He better pass a damn ball with Terry Rozier next to him. He better pass. I know. Yeah, I noticed there was a point at where he had a shot, and and the spacing wasn't even good. And he looked over and saw Terry and and gave him the ball, and Terry hit a three. And I was like, "See, that's why you get. That's why you're you're a starter now with all the injuries, and that's why you're seeing, um, you know, an increase." In production from Jalen McDaniels. Jalen McDaniels to me always had the tools. Look, I mean, the guy is almost six ten. He can play defense. Uh, he can he, he can get to the basket. It's just that you know because he was uh, coming off the bench. I think he kind of felt like, okay, I'm in the game. I got to get mine. And sometimes that hurt the team. And I think you know that was something I think that hurt Malik Monk his first three seasons. And then when Monk said, okay, you know, I got my teammate. I defer to them. And the defense going to leave me alone, and I can do my thing. And then look what we've seen from Malik Monk. And we yeah. start to see the same thing from Jalen McDaniels. And it, it will be interesting, though, is when the Hornets get healthy again and he's got to go back to the bench, how is his production going to – obviously, he's not going to get as many minutes. He's not going to get as many opportunities. It's going to be tougher to be consistent. That's what I think is going to be the next major step he has to take. But I'll say this. If he ends up being halfway consistent, if he can be a better player than the Martin twins, boy, you, I mean, you really have to look at what JB does as a player development guy. I mean, you, you, you just add his name to the list of guys who are really overachieving. PJ, yeah. Miles, Devontae. 
now Jalen Jalen McDaniels, the resurgence of Malik Monk. Um, yeah, I, I'm I'm interested to see what Jalen McDaniels does when the Hornets are healthy. Yeah, but but good job for him these last few games. We don't win those games without those performances from him. Jamal, Jamal. So you know, I was gonna put out a captain obvious treat and be like, well, damn, he plays a hell of a lot better with the starters than he does when he's uh, coming off the bench. But, <laughs> Should but be the case I, every time. But at the same time, man, I, I think when he's when he's coming off the bench, he's trying to prove something. I think he's a player who's trying to who's tr- who tried too hard to prove that hey, I deserve to be in this rotation uh, more than you know. I'm not going to name any names just yet, but y'all 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 get the picture, man. But you know, man, I, I think man, it, it all goes back to fit. We on this show never questioned Jalen McDaniel's ability. We've always given him props for what he could do. We've always said, you know, he he he, he has the, the the talent and the potential to be a good player. But when you put that together and you start figuring out how to play the NBA game, that is so important for young NBA players. And I think being with those experienced veterans and being with those starters, he's learning the NBA game. And what I mean by that, he, he's learning when to shoot, when to pass, when to cut, when to switch. All that stuff is so important to young players who, who struggle with, the, with those type of things in the NBA. And playing with those starters, man, you know, he, he gets it. And like I, and, and, I, and I jokingly made a comment like, yeah, he better pass the ball. But in all seriousness, man, I mean, you know, obviously a lot more talent to work with than playing with Grant Riller and Nick Richards and, and garbage time points. It's a, it's a hell of a, 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 a difference playing with, 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 the, with the talent, with the starters, man. But also, like, like Kaza said, man, I'm interested to see how this plays out when, uh, when we get healthy and Hayward and Monk and LaMelo Ball hopefully are all back and he goes back to the bench. I hope he can keep some of those same principles and not revert back to, hey, let me uh, prove my prove my worth and try so hard and and jack up shots with 19 seconds on the clock. We just hope he doesn't revert to that stuff when he goes back to the bench. Gotcha, gotcha. Look, I, I got a statement. So JB needs to be fired. His rotation sucks. <laughs> and uh, he will never get this team over the hump. Reply to me. Um. When if there's a statement that clearly translates and says, I don't know basketball and I don't know what I'm talking about, that would be the statement. I'm going to block you, okay? <laughs> Inside joke. Leave Inside it alone. Joke. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I think – okay, so I'm not saying that JB is above criticism. Uh, no, no coach in the NBA is. No coach is. But you look at – if you look at the situation as a whole, first of all, you look at when the when the Hornets hired him, they said we are hiring him because of player development. That was our that is our focus. The only way the Hornets, we the organization are gonna be good is if we develop our dra- draft well and develop those guys into being solid players. Well, so far they've done that. So good on JB for that. Secondly, one of the criticisms that JB always got was about his rotations, but I always felt like that was a weird criticism because his predecessor had very concrete rotations that he did not move off of. Steve Clifford would trot the same five dudes out there. For five no matter days, what the result no is. No matter what the, the situation was, whereas JB was kind of like, okay, that doesn't work, or okay, 
he's even said he's very matchup oriented, which mm-hmm. I think works in the NBA. Why wouldn't you want to do that? Why would if you think that having PJ and Miles on the floor is better than having Cody Zeller because uh, the Bucks are small? Then why wouldn't you do that? And it and it and it worked. The Bucks are small. They didn't have Giannis, so why you know have a have a, a team that could score a lot of points? And that's what happened. The Hornets almost scored 130 points because they had Miles and PJ out there rather than. Than Cody Zeller in the paint. That's JB is showing his shots as a coach. He's he's learning. Um, he's not making the same rookie mistakes that he was making two seasons ago. I mean, it's 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 getting harder and harder to criticize him. Yes, he's always he's going to make mistakes sometimes. He's always going to you know, he's just going to make a bad decision or two. But yeah. the good that he's doing has to outweigh any mistakes that he might make. And, and I think, man, plus. Fans don't want to don't want to acknowledge that sometimes, uh, you know, young coaches have to learn on the fly mm-hmm. and you especially have to learn on the fly when you don't really know what you have out of your roster. This is a roster full of young developing players. It's not like, you know, this is not a roster with Nick Batum and Marvin Williams and MKG. And you know what you get out of these guys. You get what I'm saying? Uh, JB, for the most part, he's been in the situation where he didn't know what Malik Monk was just yet. He didn't know what he still probably doesn't know what Jalen McDaniels is yet. He didn't know what Miles Bridges was yet. So you're constantly experimenting and you're constantly trying to see what works. And like Kaza said, we we rate Steve Clifford over the coals for not doing that. So the criticism is just a little puzzling, man. But all in all, man, we're sitting in the four seed right now, and there's nothing anyone can really say to to, to try to, you know, kind of, I don't know, criticize well, the job he's done overall. You can't tell me the players don't respond to JB. Uh, there was a at one Ma- point in the Ma- game. Mary LaMelo Ball. Make yeah. sure you mention that. Yeah, I mean, there was a point in uh, the Bucks game where Terry Rose here got fouled on a three and they didn't call it, but he, he hit the shot and he, and he fell. And Borrego – comes off the sideline, which, you know, you're not even supposed to do, but he comes off the sideline and help Terry up and be like, all right, come on, get get back and play defense. Have you ever seen – well, first mm-hmm. of all, I've never seen Steve Clifford do anything like that, but I, I think that he's got this rapport with the players that we haven't seen from a Hornets coach in a long time, maybe since yeah. Larry Brown, maybe. Um, and I think that goes – a long, long way before. Well, 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 look, please don't say Larry Brown because I think they got sick of him by the time he uh, got out. <laughs> uh, there was, like, I don't know how many people watched the pregame before the Bucks game, but they, there was a clip where they were showing JB in the locker room and he's talking to the team and he's saying, look, those of you that were here last season remember how we performed at the end of the season before the pandemic. Mm. And, it was, and he's right. It was essentially that same, that same, um, team. That same core of players yep. who had gone on a win streak, had uh, won like seven of their last ten and were trending up before the pandemic shut things down. And he essentially said, look, you guys are able to do it then. You guys are able to do it now. You know, yeah. and, and it looks like they're going to hold the fort down until Gordon Hayward and Malik Monk come back at least. Um, yeah. If, if the Hornets are a fourth seed at the end of the season – you, that kudos to JB, and, and and I don't want to hear any more slander at, the, at, at any more directed his way at, at, at this point because Nothing. he would have navigated significant injuries to Lamelo, Gordon, and Malik 
and, and look, Cody Zeller was don't forget Cody Zeller was out for three weeks at the beginning of the year. And this team was predicted to have 24 wins this year. We're at what 27 now? 20, 26, 27 now? 27, yeah. So just shut the hell up about uh <laughs> about James Borrego at this point. Basically. So guys, today we have a game literally in 10 minutes against Atlanta. Following that, we have a game against LA, the Lakers, then Cleveland and Brooklyn. What is your uh, schedule prediction for this week upcoming? Uh, keep in mind, Atlanta today, Trey Young is out, John Collins is out, Gallinari is out, and uh, Bembry is out. Not Bembry, but uh, the small forward is out as well. So what, what is your record prediction for this week? I, I want to say three and one so bad. <laughs> I want to keep up the optimism so so two bad. Two and two for me. L- l- listen, and, and it, I'm going to tell you exactly why I'm on the fence with my three and one, man. And it is the Los Angeles Lakers in particular. Because what they did last night, I'm like, hold on. Like, they did that to who last night? And listen, I'm going to need a shower after I say this because I despise the Los Angeles Lakers with all my soul. But that was pretty damn impressive what they did last night, man. So even without LeBron or even without AD, I'm not I, – I, I rarely ever say, oh, man, we should win that game. I never say that anyway. NBA teams are NBA teams for a reason, man. So going into that game, it's not like, oh, man, LeBron AD's out. Yeah, let's go ahead and rack up this W. I'm just not as confident as I am after last night's game, man. So that's my whole reason behind 3-1. and one. We, we – again – we should I'll, I'll put it this way. We should be favored to win today. Mm-hmm. Uh, we should be favored to win against Cleveland. Also, keep in mind, we have, for some reason, we struggled to beat Cleveland for whatever damn reason in the last uh, three or four games. But we should be favored to win that game. So the optimistic side of me is going to say three and one. But I'm kind of feeling two and two, man. But I'm going to go three. I'm going to go three. Uh, I'm going to go two and two. I think we lose to Brooklyn and L.A., uh, and I think we beat – although I had originally had today's game pegged as a loss, but then I saw the injury report, and I think the Hornets can pull this out. It, this is a really important game. JB, you know, he's he's in the locker room stressing the importance of this game because you win this game, that's pretty much the division, especially yeah. if you can hold off of Miami. Then yeah. You don't have to worry about Atlanta. You own the tiebreakers over them. You'll then be four games over 500 with two full games over Atlanta for the fourth seed in the division lead. I think it'd be three because we, we beat them. This be yes, right. Yeah, you're right, yeah. I mean, yeah, this is a huge, huge game for both Charlotte and Atlanta, which is why I'm kind of surprised Atlanta is sitting so many players. But, I mean, if they're injured, then they're, then they're injured. Um, I think we'll beat Cleveland, although Cleveland's guard play is going to give it, us It gives us trouble, trouble, man. Yeah, uh, yeah. The difference, though, is that previously when we played Cleveland, they had Andre Drummond. So whenever, so we could, we couldn't really focus on the guards because they had Drummond down low getting rebounds and putbacks. Now that that's not, you know, a concern anymore. I think defensively we'll be able to focus on Cleveland's guards. Jalen McDaniel's probably see a lot of playing time, and I I think Cleveland's guards would have trouble with Jalen McDaniel if he's playing a two guard position. So I think. And let me let me say one thing about the Hawks, you know, having all these people out. And I, I want to talk to Hornets fans real quick. I don't give a damn what the other team does and who they sit out and who we play 
and who we quote unquote should be. We have no control over that, man. Mm -hmm. Before before the before the start of this season, I think all three of us agreed that we're happy with beating the teams we're we're quote unquote supposed to beat, and maybe not being ready for the heavyweights like Brooklyn and LA and all this stuff. That's all we can control, man. So to sit here and try to I don't know, try to downgrade a win over a team we're supposed to beat, man, it, it's corny. I, like. We, we as Hornets fans, we will take every little victory we can get until we don't get them anymore. It is as simple as that, man. Look, you play who's in front of you. It doesn't matter the circumstances. That's we're, it. All, we're all dealing with COVID. We're all dealing with injuries. A win's a win. A loss is a loss. So, guys. Yeah, especially, especially that narrative is weird considering the Hornets have major injuries. Three of our – I mean, Hello. Three of our maybe our five best players are not 45, playing. 44-45% of our scoring is out. Yeah. So but, I, but, but then but then on top of that, that's kind of talking like we were supposed to be in the Eastern Conference Finals anyway. Like yeah. do, do we not know who we are? Like yeah. <laughs> come on. Look, man. We're literally year two in the rebuild. I well, mean, year three. Two, technically two. year three, but the first year it's hard to count because that was still you know, so yeah, this would be the you know full swing in the rebuild. Although we had to kind of cut it short because Gordon Hayward came available on the market, but uh, the Hornets are well, way above where they were supposed to be. So, uh, guys, I got a surprise one. I, look, I, I, I let's just keep this one short. So, uh, ESPN released their future uh, rankings for top twenty-five, <laughs> top top. Top twenty five under twenty five, and Lamelo Ball was three. And I heard a lot of stuff saying that he wasn't three. Are you comfortable with him being third on this list? I totally am comfortable with Lamelo Ball being third on this list. And I know we're going to get a lot of, uh, you know, uh, Homer talk, but I will uh, explain why. And I think people need to read. People need to specifically read what that damn meme said. It means it. It, it specifically said based off potential let's not leave that part out i do want to know i forget i forget who exactly did this but there was another one created where it said who was the best uh who's the top 10 players under 25 now Lamelo was not on that list and i'm also fine with that as well okay mm -hmm. um we have talked to nauseam about uh the potential of Lamelo ball like i've always said his instincts are top notch already uh, his instincts are, are are nothing like I've ever seen. You know, you know, when he get when he builds muscle, when he cuts down on the rookie stuff, when he totally understands the NBA game. Uh, again, let me remind people he's only 19 years old. When that stuff is fixed, he is going to be a superstar in this league. Based off potential, yes, he deserves to be on this list. Look at everyone on that list. Who besides Luca and Zion? We're better rookies than Lamella Ball is now. Nobody. Nobody on that list. Everyone's like Devin Booker. Devin Booker was, I mean, he, he was a good rookie, but not like Lamella Ball. I mean, look at this. We haven't seen a rookie season like Lamella Ball has, I mean, very often in the last decade. Luca, Jean Morant, a few other guys. But for a rookie to come in, I mean, as a starter, he's averaging like 27 and 7. What? That's. That's absolutely ridiculous. I think, like Jamal said, based on potential, 
you look at that. This kid is 19 years old, and he's already had a better rookie season than anybody else on that list except for the two guys above him. I think that tells you all you need to know. Now, if, if you said, okay, best players under 25 outright, then, yeah, no, I don't think LaMelo Ball would be number three. He, has, he hasn't done enough in the league, I think, to, you know, to, to warrant, uh, you know, any kind of ranking with guys like Devin Booker and John Morant and, and Luka Doncic. So, uh, but, you know, it's one of those things that, you know, ESPN, as much as I love them, they sensationalize everything. And although this, I think that list wasn't, the intent wasn't to, be sensationalist, but they knew the yeah, they knew the reaction would be because no one right. reads, no one says where it says, sees where it says based on potential. They <laughs> say, "Oh my God, how can you put mellow ball over Devin Booker?" Well, I mean, Devin Booker is like twenty four years old, dude. I mean, Lamelo Ball's five years younger. That's kind of the point of the meme. So, and and and, and I, I I totally agree with that, man. Like, if if you, if you go back and look at his numbers that he was putting up. They were literally LeBron level type numbers, and his vision for 19 years old is unparalleled. His 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 his, his on the court presence, and, and and the boy hasn't even grown into his man body yet. He, right. he's still a kid. He's 19 years old, and, and he's basically one of the only rookies outside of Anthony Edwards in his 20s. In the 20s, he's the only rookie on that list. But if, if I, I wouldn't have been mad if you sent him to five. I wouldn't have been mad if you had him at two. It, it just depends on what you value as far as the potential. No, that's a good point. Jason Tatum. Did J- I understand the Jason Tatum and maybe the Donovan Mitchell arguments, but they're older. They've they, they've been through that ringer a little more, and they and, and I'm gonna be, I'm gonna be quite frank with you. They were drafted into better organizations that put them in better positions. No doubt. Lamelo Ball is basically a franchise type savior at this point, and he he. At 19 years old, he really elevates the play of his teammates. Mm-hmm. Like you, you, you have to. It's, it's it's not based on what you see right now. It's it's what you see and, 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 and what you think he projects to be in a couple of years. Put it like this: Lamelo Ball is 19. He's gonna be on, on this list for five more years. Yeah. Uh, yep. Think about that. Five more years, he's on the list. Well, and Max Kellerman made a, a good point. If you who besides Luca and Melo do everything that those two guys do. LaMelo can rebound. He averages almost seven a game as a starter. We know he can pass the ball. Um, and he and he can score, which was a concern of everyone You know, coming into the draft. Well, he can't score as well as Anthony Edwards. Well, he led all rookies in scoring until his injury. So, you know, guys like Donovan Mitchell. Donovan Mitchell is a great player, but Donovan Mitchell is – primarily a scorer. That's what he does. Devin Booker is a scorer. Uh, Zion Williams is a scorer. Uh, none of those guys on that list really are this kind of Swiss Army knife that LaMelo Ball is. So, And plus he has more followers on uh, uh, than, than the <laughs> Okay. So, uh, man, unfortunately, uh, a few days back, Phillip Adams, the former NFL player, for the Raiders, Patriots, Seahawks, Jets, and from Rock Hill High School, and uh, he went to South Carolina State, um, murdered Dr. Robert Leslie and uh, his family and uh, one of his employees. Um, so all our tragic situation. Um, I, I, I wish it could have been prevented, but we don't know what, what his triggers were or, or whatnot. 
So guys, just just come and give me some thoughts and feelings about this whole situation. I'll, I'll make it quick because the horn is about to come on. <laughs> but my 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 first thought was CTE, um, just based on how people described him, and that's only we can only go off that because we don't know these people. You know what I mean? A, a lot will come out, you know, later, and I don't want to get too deep into that stuff, man. Um, I, all I want to say to this man is that. Just for anybody watching out there, if you see any signs of mental illness, if you see any signs of somebody who is not mentally well, man, you got to communicate with somebody, man, because these type of tragedies are just, I, I mean, I, I can't even, it's, it's unthinkable, it's unimaginable. Um, we got to, we really just got to make a better form on, on mental health in this country, man, and we have a long way to go with that, and I'll just keep it at that, man. Yeah, I mean, it's it's sad, of course, uh, but for it to happen in a place like Rock Hill, you know, to get for a place like Rock Hill to get national news, you know, Rock Hill is like a second home to me. I mm. practically grew up there growing up in Charlotte. My dad's family's from there. I grew up, I hung out in Boyd Hill, Sunset Park. I used to go to the Jamboree every year. Now, I didn't even go to high school there, but if you from Rock Hill, you know, the Jamboree is was the place to be. That's where you show off all your new fits. And of course you get to see Northwestern and Rock Hill high play and Rock Hill being a football town. They've had so much NFL talent come out, starting from, from Jeff Burrs, Chris Hope. And so, right. So when I, so when I think about it, it's really not all that surprising because this isn't the first time we've seen this happen with the NFL player. Yeah. And it will not be the last time. Unfortunately. Yeah. It's just unfortunate that it finally hit close to home uh, yeah. for, for a lot of people. My, my dad and his wife were friends with the Adams family. Um, so, you know, it, everyone at Rock Hill knows each other is so, you know, the, the tragedy is, is really, really uh, compressed because Rock Hill is such a, uh, you know, a small, uh, close knit community. Although it's become like an extension of the Charlotte metro area, so it's not surprising to see it get in national news. But I mean, you now we have to be vigilant that this doesn't happen again in a place uh, anywhere really, but especially in a place like Rock Hill or these football towns across America that produce a lot of NFL talent. No doubt. And then uh, I, I recently read that they they are going to. Uh, Kind of look at his brain and see if there are any signs of CTE, which which uh, which I'm um, be honest, there probably is. Oh yeah, yeah. definitely. No, no. Uh, apparently, the, he had been being treated for uh, possible uh, brain issues, and he for some reason was off his meds. And a lot of people think that that is the trigger. We won't know for sure. We'll never really know. But um, and 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 I'm I'm gonna just say this and then we'll move on. So. I just think about his his life, man. He he was he was on four NFL teams, a seventh round draft pick, and it's no telling how many concussions his young brother had. Yeah, especially how many he concealed trying to stay on the roster, duty has to do, and to be that he was 32, 33 years old, thirty two yeah, years old. Yeah, he didn't have the luxury of like Luke Keekley, who yeah. said, "Okay, you know what? I've made a lot of money. I've done a lot of good. I'm out." You know, being a seven round draft pick, you always got to prove. You know, he had, despite being in the NFL for as long as, as he was, Philip Adams and all these teams, he really didn't have any money. You know, he was back living with his parents, uh, you know, because a lot of people don't realize that 
guys like him don't make a lot of money in the NFL. A lot of that money gets eaten up by taxes, lawyers, family, uh, all of those things. So, uh, you know, so he had to play as long as he could. And, and like you said, he probably suffered a ton of head injuries. Um, he had he, to conceal it. Yeah. I mean, you, you injured, you injured your seven round pick, they cut you. Yeah. I mean, I mean that, that's, that, that's, unfortunately, that's just how it goes. And uh, we want to send our condolences to the uh, doctor's family. Absolutely. Uh, you, are, you are in our thoughts and prayers. And uh, we're going to move on to shout outs. Uh, quick shout outs. Shout at to any Carolina Hurricanes fan that does not like P.D. Pablo's Raise Up as the goal song. I mean, how that is like the most accessible rap song like ever. Everybody can get behind it. Everyone loves it. It gets the crowd hype. You got 18,000 people all spinning the towels around the head like a helicopter when the Hurricanes score a goal. How can you not like that? I just, I just so, some people were making that sentiment in the Hurricanes Facebook group, and it's like, weird, weird, like weird, weird, weird. And, and the suggestions they were giving for goal songs were like, like essence, really? When the what? I don't, <laughs> yeah, they, they, they want to play Sweet Caroline. Yeah, no, 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 it's much better than the old. I don't know if you guys remember, if anybody out there remembers the old Hartford Whalers goal song. The Hurricanes kind of adopted it when they, you know, when the Whalers moved over. Um, it was not good. And uh, <laughs> I am very glad that the Hurricanes decided to move into this millennium and play Raise Up. So, Raise Up forever be the goal song for the Hurricanes. I just have one parting shot. Hey, cut it off. Copyright, copyright, copyright. <laughs> Rest in peace, DMX. Rest in peace, brother. Rest in peace. Uh, I want to give a shout out to Vashtai for joining us today. Yes, thank uh, you. Taking time out of her busy, busy schedule. And uh, shout out to her for going viral as well. We saw that Carolina. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> right there. Look, look, this is doing big things. I see. And then, uh, man, just shout out to everybody that that that, that supports us, man, and just kind of watches us, shares us, likes us. We really do appreciate that, and uh, we look forward to bringing you guys more awesome content. RIP to DMX. Don't be so fast to kill off your legends. Oh, I'm, I got a shot at man. Shot at the people that saying that we didn't give DMX his flowers until he was gone. Man, DMX, DMX was of the people. DMX was Stop. out here. Everybody showing him love today. Everybody was praying for him. Look, he, he was literally one of the most loved of this. ever. Yeah, I guess people didn't remember the verses again two months ago that had like five million views. I, I, Hello. You know, Hello. When, when celebrities die, people want to make themselves seem important. That's why we're seeing the morality police suddenly come out with DMX. <laughs> Death. I, I, forget those people. Yeah, forget pretty much. Forget them. Oh, final message. Protect, protect our children. They are precious and they are future. You guys have a wonderful day. Go Hornets. Go Hornets. Keep pounding. Rise up. <laughs> <laughs> have a good day. Peace. <laughs>